Happy playing. <laughs> that sounded creepy. That sounded like we're going to find you. <laughs> it was like Saw, you oh, know? It. Like I'm going to leave you in this exactly. room. You wanna, Happy play. play a game. It's made of fine, organic, sustainable wooden materials. <laughs> Oh, guys, like, I don't think I'm going to make it through this episode. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to today's topic. I I, I'm in a mood, I'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide, per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and maybe even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for motherhood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other moms, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome everyone. My name is Megan. I'm a mother of two and have my lower elementary training in Montessori ages six to nine. I'm here with Rachel, mother of one with one on the way with her training in infant toddler. And last but not least, I'm here with Laura, mother of one with her training in lower and upper elementary ages six through 12. So let's start by catching up. What has everyone been up to this week? Rachel, let's start with you. It's been a good week. Um, I can't believe it's only Wednesday. <laughs> it feels like a really <laughs> long week, but um, it's been a good week. I feel like we are at the point where Finley has discovered that peeing and body functions are like a choice. Like he controls <laughs> that now, you know, he knows that. So that's really fun when in the morning he gets up and is like, no, immediately the first thing he says, no. <laughs> No, 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 no. And then I feel like we're singing We Don't Talk About Bruno from Encanto because he's oh like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So this is a lot of fun. I literally was like, I'm leaving you. I'm going to school. Bye. And then finally he put his pants on this morning. So it's been a real struggle this week, y'all. Real struggle. And he's not asleep and he's in his bed screaming right now. So that's a lot of fun. I think maybe we're at this regression that Laura was mm. in, possibly, or he's just almost two and I just got to get it together. But yeah, but we I was about literally to ask. just talking about this. Yep. Yep. I was about to ask if you think you're there because Megan was just saying, as we were waiting for you to finish wrestling him and come <laughs> to this call, that Billy is 100% in it now. Yeah. And um, I just, I send thoughts and prayers and I I feel like maybe this is like a natural progression into, should I just, can I just go from yeah, here? Yeah, like, yeah, tell us what's okay. going on. Um, <laughs> I give you permission. <laughs> Thank you for your permission to shine my light. Um, my child, also almost two, she has come out of the sleep regression. Hallelujah. Amen. She, it was about two weeks with her. Um, oh, and I'll that. tell you, <laughs> right, exactly. And it was everything from like straight up skipping naps, which is what 
Megan's life is and then being miserable into the late afternoon because she is not physically capable of doing that um, and being just whiny and clingy and just like anybody looked at her and it was just no, no. Same. Same. I feel that um, way all the time. Yeah. No. I know. She is out of it finally. And I think it's nice to sleep. <laughs> it's nice to sleep. Amen. Um, well, we are home from my family's house, which we were at for seven months. So it was a really long time. And so we're home now unpacking, kind of getting back into a routine. And guys, the flight. I'll get into it later <laughs> during confessions, but yes. Oh man, I I'm not leaving this house ever again. <laughs> like <laughs> and this was this, you know, was not our first flight. Um, but it was definitely the hardest for both of them at the same time. And we had two flights, so it was a layover, and it was just like I'm not okay. I'm gonna need to like do some extensive therapy after this. And you were by yourself with both of them? Oh my gosh, no. If I was by myself, I would not have come home. Like I just wouldn't have because there's just- You would just stay in the airport. I don't Wherever the first flight ended is your new home. Yeah, Phoenix, hello. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know how people do it alone. Especially, I mean, my kids are so close in age. Um- So they're not even fully 14 months apart. And so they both need a lot of support and they're both huge, but they both still want to be held and snuggled. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was a lot, but like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that later, but we're home. So that's nice. Um, And my thoughts and prayers to anyone who is traveling with their children anywhere in the future. I see you. (laughs) Okay. So we will be back after this break. Did you know that the human brain has about 100 billion nerve cells present at birth? The network's structure is formed by experiences children have in the first three years of life. Love Every designs their products for learning with a team of experts, academics, researchers, and specialists to make sure they're exactly what your child needs and loves. Their award-winning play products meet your child at each developmental stage. We love that they are thoughtfully crafted with sustainable, organic, and natural materials. We are all fans of their play kits, and all of our babies have loved the play gym. We are excited to offer you free shipping on your next Love Every purchase when you use the link in our show notes or in our Instagram bio at Montessori Moms in the Wild. Happy playing! We will continue where we left off last week. If you missed out, feel free to go back and listen to last week's episode where Laura gave us a great overview of the six components of the prepared environment. Last week, we spent a good chunk of time discussing freedom of choice, structure, and order, and the intellectual environment. Dr. Montessori coined six components of their prepared environment, and we didn't want to neglect any of them as each is important. So this week, as we continue talking about the prepared environment, let's talk about the remaining three components that we really didn't get to last week, beauty, nature, and reality, and the social environment. 
In case you missed last week or forgot what Laura introduced to us last week, I'll recap these components quickly. Beauty. Dr. Montessori shared the atmosphere should be prepared beautifully and simplistically in such a way that evokes peace, tranquility, and harmony. So we are aiming to create a space that is aesthetically pleasing and welcoming. Nature and reality. Dr. Montessori believed that children should be inspired by nature. Reality literally means focusing on the real world topics and tasks that each of us do every day and that our children do every day. Finally, the social environment. Dr. Montessori strongly believed children learned greatly from one another. The prepared environment should allow for free social interactions, which helps children become socially aware and learn to care for each other. Okay, ladies, so what are our thoughts on these three components of the prepared environment? Laura, let's start with you. Okay, so, oh God, again, there's so much to unpack in every single one of these, but I think it's good to start with the beauty one. So the thing about this component is I think it's one of the reasons that sometimes people can be overwhelmed when they look into Montessori and they find like the accounts and so like Instagram accounts and um, people who share images of what they have set up in their homes. Because I think that what sometimes happens is like you fall into this wormhole of the most gorgeous playrooms. Like they look like tiny, well-funded classrooms, like in a home and these beautiful, well-kept children are focusing intensely on a complicated and advanced work while a golden beam of sun bursts through the picture window. And it's like, (laughs) this is not what my life looks like. Like I'm a Montessori teacher. I thought I had a prepared environment and it does not look like this. Um, So I'm going to tell you right now, stop, don't, don't do that. Stop doing that. A prepared environment. I think one of the most important pieces of the definition that Rachel just recapped there is prepared beautifully and simplistically to evoke tranquility, et cetera, and so forth. So the thing that's overlooked often is the simplistically part, like simple, you can keep it simple. It doesn't have to be this elaborately set up situation. In fact, I remember in training learning that our classrooms were not meant to have like walls plastered with posters and images and like, you know, cute little decorations all over the place because that stuff, honestly, at this age, at these younger ages up through probably easily upper elementary ages, that's very distracting. Like it's okay to have a very simple play space that's neutral. You don't have to have these crazy patterns. I think people, especially these days, get sucked into both Instagram and things like Pinterest. And you think you have to have this certain look for a space to be beautiful to a child. And we're talking about simply just making it enticing to them as in a place that they want to be because it's not overwhelming. It's not overstimulating. It feels calm. It feels cool. It has a a decent selection of not too many things to choose from that could be interesting to get into and focus on. And it's a place where they can sit and actually focus on the thing that they're doing. You know, I just think that it's just important to remember that less is more with this one. Mm -hmm. I like the, um, the word focusing on the word welcoming because that doesn't have to mean like you said this you know really elaborate situation or the exact same thing that you saw on Instagram or Pinterest it it means being available like if you've ever seen a child find something that's their size and how 
much pleasure they get out of finding a chair that's their size or finding a utensil that's their size. Maria Montessori, she spoke a lecture that she did about um, comparing our selves to living in a world of giants. So she talked about kind of imagining yourself living in a world where all the chairs were too big and you wanted to empty out your liquid into a basin, but it was too heavy and you couldn't do it without spilling. And, and what that would feel like to have everything in your environment be inaccessible to you. Um, and how frustrating that would be and how much effort it would take and how we need to view our spaces like our children do. So something that I do, which is kind of probably weird now that I think about it, um, (laughs) but I like to get down on the floor and imagine what my children see and is something too high, is something too big, is something too heavy. And so that can be part of the beauty is that it's welcoming and pleasing to them in a way because it's meant for them. So it doesn't need to be the most expensive, perfectly manicured space. It can just be available to them and that's pleasing, but kind of putting yourself in their position. And especially if your children are nonverbal right now, something that I tried to think about coming into this episode was what would I feel like if I had to ask for everything in whether it be with my gestures or complaining or like going and getting someone to get me something every time I wanted something, how frustrating that would be just for one day. And that's your child's life all the time. So, um, finding ways for them to be able to do things on their own without needing you is a way to make their environment welcoming and pleasing. I'm so glad you said to get on their level, like on the floor like that. That's something that we talked about in training and we did for like a day. It was like sit on the floor and like look around at all the things you see. Um, And they say to do that when you're baby proofing too, like get on their level, look around, what are they going to climb on? Um, But it does make like, you just hit it, hit, hit the head on the, hit the nail on the head. That's the one. (laughs) Let me get my let me get my language correct. Um, no, the frustrating part because it's so true. Um, I I mean, even now, I think first of all, you can never have a perfectly set up environment ever. So, like, you're listening, you think you got it. Like, there's always going to be something. As a teacher, I'm l- tweaking something every single day in my classroom because every day is different with the children, and some days. They may show me they need this. Some days Finley may show me he needs that. So I think, too, it's constantly like this environment is ever changing. It's not ever going to be like this is the way it's set up forever and ever. And it's always going to work. As your children grow, you're going to alter the environment. Um, Like if you have two children who are really close in age, like Megan, then you have to look at like, okay, her older one is a toddler, but her younger one can't have these tiny beads or beans that are you know in the sensory bin so like how do I set up the environment so that it's accessible to her but not to him so it's it's like a really thought out process but also it's the simplicity of it is what we're and what Maria tries to kind of get to the point is 
really, you can have a shelf with just three toys, activities set up just at their level so they can even reach that. Like that's like just a start to just have that accessible to them and to have the access at their level, which is exciting. We have access to stuff at our level all the time. So um, for them to be able to have a chair their size, like that's the best thing ever in their world. Yeah, I think also... Um, in terms of making the area beautiful, there are some really simple little tricks there that I learned from you guys. Like Megan, you made like an Ikea run at one point and got a bunch of little like trays that I don't know actually what their original purpose is for, like what they're tagged as, but you pass them out to us. And I was able then to take like the cute little, you know, developmentally designed toys from Love Every, the her work, and put them on these little trays and in these little things that she can go take with two hands and practice carrying it from her little shelf, just like a little tiny extra bonus step that helps her work out just a couple more uh, skills, but also is making the area more more aesthetically pleasing. Like everything's organized mm-hmm. on a little tray and I'm intentional about where I'm putting it. That being said, today alone, she cleared the entire top shelf of that little workshelf to climb on top of it and bang on the window and yell at squirrels <laughs> for like five minutes. So like, it's not always going to be as used and as, as appreciated as we're making it sound like it will because children are children. So I guess if I were listening to this and I weren't, one of us, I would be like, well, why are you doing this? You know, like, why is it important? Mm-hmm. If your kid's acting the same way my kid is with 18 baskets of toys dumped on the floor, why would I bother putting all that effort in that you just described? And I think that is something I want to convey in these episodes is like, why do we think that the philosophy that isn't always easy to implement is so important? And in this case, mm-hmm. with the beauty and the attraction to whatever their environment is. And again, environment in this context, meaning literally the space that you are in with your child, especially in terms of wanting them to like interact with and play in an area, making it aesthetically pleasing and enticing to them will make them want to then be in the environment, handling the things in the environment, which hopefully are, again, some kind of toy or concept that's working a gross motor skill, a fine motor skill, and and certainly focus. If they can focus within the environment, there's not a ton of distractions. You don't have the TV blasting and the radio on. And again, 9,000 toys to choose from. So they touch everything for two seconds and move on. If you can, if you can give them a different experience, which they won't always take advantage of, but when they do, it pays off in spades because again, it's strengthening focus and patience and Uh, every kind of little skill that it takes to open that thing or close that thing or empty that bag and refill it 19 times straight. And um, I think that's why all of this is worth it, even though it is so much work. Mm -hmm. And lucky you, we're going to get to share our pictures soon on our, yeah. So you'll check out our um, Instagram next week or this week, I guess. Um, And you will, we're going to share some of our environments just to help maybe get ideas for you and your home um, for your little ones also. What's your guys's take on nature and reality? Like, what do you have to say about, so nature and reality go together, right? So somebody talk to me about that. Yes. So they, they piggyback on one another because uh, that's just how 
that's how Maria nature is real. <laughs> yeah, that's how Maria always spoke of it. And, and nature is like the real environment we live in. Um, and that's really how she kind of explained it. Um, if you look back at her teachings, like everything happened outside. The children washed their clothes. I mean, everything was happening outside. She had children outside as much as they could be outside. And that's kind of still the goal of the Montessori philosophy, obviously, as this is one of the major components. Um, as a classroom teacher, outside time and motor development is so, so important. They need that gross motor development, the running, the climbing they need to be able to take risk which is kind of a whole nother um point that i'm sure we'll reach when we discuss more um topics over the series of our podcast but um nature is so important just to have that time outside um for them to experience the dirt and the leaves and the bugs and the world that we like truly live in so share what what are y'all's thoughts um i know i don't love going outside right now with it's my cold. own toddler because it's a little cold yeah i yeah but we do it you know yeah i keep in mind is that you know there's no bad weather only inappropriate clothing I wrote, so. I, megan i have it written down <laughs> right here direct we quote. are right there that was my first note after nature and reality <laughs> there's no such thing as bad yeah, weather so we <laughs> No such thing as bad weather. We go out, rain, shine, snow. Um, but something I was thinking about when you were talking, Rachel, was that um, one of the biggest, for to me, the biggest importance of nature and reality when we're talking about the larger environment in which we live is an appreciation for it. We want our children to appreciate the world around them not just their tiny little environment in their classroom or in their room or their playroom that's been perfectly curated or imperfectly curated <laughs> like ours are. Um, but looking at the bigger worlds and their place in it and taking care of it, uh, you know, keeping it clean and keeping it beautiful and appreciating the trees and the bugs and the animals and that connection is something we'll go into kind of later about being global citizens Yeah, because the first place we live is the earth. That's something that starts to come out really heavy yes. too in the lower elementary curriculum. Megan, we have the cosmic curriculum, right? So it's all about this bigger picture of like where you fit into the world and like, spoiler alert, we're all in this thing together and we only have one earth. So like, what can we do to make this a better situation for everyone. Um, and that starts with taking your tiny little toddlers outside and letting them explore and appreciate and touch bugs and get dirty and splash in puddles and, you know, climb stuff and walk on uneven terrain that they don't have to balance on when they're constantly inside of a house, you know, like those are all so huge. So get outside. That's it's honestly as simple as that. Like there's no, there's no thing you have to buy here. There's no book you have to read. Go outside. If you're in like an insanely urban setting where that is like for real, not a possibility, then honestly, my heart goes out to you because that is <laughs> that is tough. Um, but I don't know. Hopefully you can find a park that you feel comfortable going to or 
family trips to somewhere outside of the city when possible. I don't know. Reach out, reach out with ideas. Opening a window, you know, Yeah, honestly, even that, even just that, um, PS, if you are like a super urban living mom with any good suggestions for people who are also in that situation. I remember when I was in my training, my like BFFFF was in a super, super urban setting in Philadelphia. And it was like not safe to take the kids outside in that school. And so she was like desperately trying to figure out what can we do to make up for what a huge part of the curriculum and philosophy being outdoors is. So we'll circle back to that when we have some more advice there, because we're honestly all very fortunate to be in a place where we can be outside. And honestly, where we are specifically is, yeah, you could pretty much do it year round. Um, Yeah. So get whatever clothing you need to be able to do it and do it. Um, And I think to include why this one is so important is it is literally like scientifically, this is lighting up countless neurons and it is teaching your child more about their world and themselves than any book or show or developmental toy ever, ever could. So get outside. Yeah. I mean, if that's all you can do, if that's all you can do, if you can't do anything, go outside. I don't know about you both, but the mood changes when we go outside. Whenever we're having a hard day, whenever there's tantrums happening, yeah, we just go outside. And I don't know how familiar any of our listeners are with child-led walks, um, but those are kind of lifesavers for us. And it's basically taking your child to a safe area and letting them kind of lead the way, make the pace, stop when they want to, explore the way they want to, and lead. And something that is super important is allowing them to make choices when we can give them choices. We spend so much of the day telling them what to do, no, get off that, stop, and carving out a piece of the day even if it's for 10 minutes, where they can make all of the choices and explore their environment completely uninterrupted is not only all of the amazing things that Laura just said, but also just like a break for you. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Totally. Equally important reason (laughs) to do it is getting back to that self-care for mommy and daddy or whoever the lucky caregiver is give yourself a break. Let them wander around the yard or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, And let it, and let them completely do their thing. Uh, we're talking about focus, we're talking about concentration and all those, you know, gross fine motor skills, all of those things that come along with a natural terrain, kind of why we do that. But honestly, if I'm going to be really honest, the biggest reason is because I'm tired and it's the surefire way to get her to calm down. And I feel, for me too, I feel better when we've gotten outside for a little while. Like I don't want to go. No fiber of me wants to go. I have be, I am couch. I've become couch. You should just play inside (laughs) forever. Why will you not just watch 10 Disney movies straight? Why won't you do it? Um, why instead (laughs) she's gone to put on her own jacket and her own boots and is yelling outside, outside at the door. So great. We're going, you know what? I feel better too. I do. Yeah. And actually, I think that's a great kind of segue into the whole idea of reality because a big, a big part of the Montessori world is focused on reality. And I think we should, I think we should talk about it, but also be honest about what our 
true opinions are about this, which is, um, I just don't do it. Like, I, yeah, I know actually I wanted to talk to, I wanted to hear what Rachel has to say about this because I feel like what I, what my training covered as far as reality versus fantasy is more applicable to an, an, like an elementary age child in terms of like, how about instead of plugging them into Superman, Batman, like just crazy fantasy stories, what have them watch a biography about a real human being who did something incredible, like all those like famous firsts and great athletes and peacekeepers. And they are genuinely so interested in that because they are still like solidifying their understanding of the world and how it works. And um, they love a true story. But Rachel, I want to ask you, I know a big part of the like early childhood stuff is like no cartoons, no fake nothing. So like if you're putting on something where like there's a talking dog, like huge, no, no, big, big problem that is not real. It could never be real. Like you're confusing your kid. Um, But it really just doesn't jive with like my own childhood experience, you know, and what I think of when I think of childhood, I think of we talked last time about our favorite Disney movies and how we wanted the, the princess dresses and all that stuff. And I that was just so new to me when I heard that. And I'm interested to know what like what 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 more do you know about that? Yeah. So in my training, um, it pretty much is just what you shared. It's kind of a like a no go. Um, really it's no cartoons, no, it's, it's all, everything is real based. We're not living in the fantasy world. Um, but I think it depends who you train under because my trainers of course shared Maria's philosophy, um, with that, but they also shared, look at the world we're living in now, um, and look at your family. And I think you have to individually decide, more so what the kind of the road map you want to take with that. Um, one thing that was explained to me was kind of make them or these fantasies or um, imagination is a huge part of a child's development. Um, they, they hit this point where they're imagining things. They're living in maybe another world. They're, they're whatever, they're a dinosaur, they're this, they're that. Um, and that's fun. That's a, that's an important part of child development period. And that's an important part of brain development that your child will go through. Every child will go through a phase of where they're really into imagination. Um, so I think that is also important, but let's go back to Maria's philosophy of it's in her mind, I guess it's, she wanted everything to be real life. We're doing what we're, she wanted the children to do what we do daily, live in the daily life of things. So, um, but my trainers always shared too, you could um, create the fantasies, the things as stories and share with them. Like, this is actually not real um, for like Santa Claus per se, like share, you know, but it's still fun to be a part of the story and um, so they're still a part of it, but they're not actually thinking it's real, if that makes sense. Yeah, just sort of that idea that they are still not fully solid on what's what yet. So sort of sharing yes. fantastical and imaginative things, but also taking the time to be like, okay, just so you know, though, this is 
not a real thing. This could not really happen, but wouldn't it be fun to pretend blah, 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 and sort of make sure that for any, I think children do figure out, you know, the difference eventually, but I, I'm sure that's a helpful way to approach it for kids who might have a little bit of a harder time blurring the line. And I think it's a common misconception about Montessori, um, is that there is no imagination allowed. Oh yeah. And that's, that's not, (laughs) that's not what we're talking about here. Um, I will say that one of the things that I agree with when we talk about reality and keeping it reality-based is that the world is so much more interesting and beautiful and wonderful than any fantasy could ever be. And um, really diving into that and learning how amazing our world truly is, is um, a way that we can appreciate it and learn more about it. Something that happened in my classroom, I think this was, it was recently, uh, not this year, but in the last couple of years, um, was that I had a student who very much lived in the world of fantasy and we were having problems that he was killing frogs. Okay. So generally come in, a massive red flag behavior. <laughs> yes. Generally. So of course we're we're all worried. Um, but he one day getting curious, asking questions instead of labeling our students and our children. So I asked him, I was like, um, you know, buddy, like when you when you squeeze that, it was kind of a Lenny situation, like he yeah. was squeezing them and holding it in his pocket. So he wasn't like torturing them or hurting them. Um, but he was squeezing them in his pocket. And I was like, you know, buddy, when you, when you squeeze those frogs, they die. And he looked at me like, no, frogs have nine lives. And I was like, "Mm, (laughs) frogs have one life. Pretty sure the dead frog in your pocket was like, (laughs) you differ. His face when I told him that frogs have one life was like, Oh no. Dear God, what have I done? Oh dear God. Like earth shattering. And so that's a really extreme example, but one that he really didn't understand when his fantasy started and reality began or finished and began. Um, so that's just kind of an example of how our, how our children are kind of figuring it out. We can't take for granted that they just know because they don't just know all of the time. That being said, I, I don't keep everything reality-based. I try to make sure our books and the shows that we watch are balanced, so not just fantasy. Um, but, you know, I love, I love a cartoon. I love a good Disney movie. And that's not something I'm going to change. And I think something that we respect is that the philosophy is what it is. The method, it is what it is. Maria Montessori said what she said and she believed it. She studied it. She was smarter than I am. Um, All of us. but, (laughs) But we get to make decisions as parents and that's kind of everyone's decisions are different. And as long as we understand the options and make the decision that we feel is best for our family in a, in an educated and informed way, it's all good. Well, 
And you know what's interesting, Rachel? You said that Maria's whole point was to have the children more involved in and paying more attention to the real world as in like what we do daily. Think about what that looked like in 1930. What exactly versus what, uh, what we do daily now, like we have screens in front of our faces. We, so like there are some adults out there that are doing a very good job of making sure that their child legit does not look at a TV until they're at least two years old. I'm not one of them, unfortunately, but I had think that, the thing that's working for those adults is that they also don't have like a crazy addictive relationship with TV. So it's not such a big deal for them to not have it on. I think we just have like changed as a people to be so reliant on these devices that it's, it's, I think it's just going to happen, you know, for most people, it's just going to be a part of your day. Exactly. Um, so I'm looking at kind of the last thing that we're talking about and it's the social environment and I just want to laugh and be like, ha, COVID. Right. Okay. What so, a great topic during a global pandemic. I, we all know it's important. My kids don't see very many other children. It's something I have a ton of guilt about and feel awful about all the time. And I'm sure many parents listening also do thinking, oh my gosh, is my child getting enough interaction socially and the answer is probably no, like to be honest. Right yeah. And we all just, yeah, right now we just like all have to just kind of be okay with it and also understand that kids are so resilient and that eventually as we start being able to interact more socially that we will get there. Yeah. I mean, I just want to say, I mean, we – we had our babies, our first babies, right before yeah. the world shut down. And then I remember going to like like six-week appointment and they're like, okay, you can be free. And then the world shut down. So, I mean, I'm grateful, of course, because I am a teacher. So, um, my little one, Finley, he goes to school where I teach at. Um, so, he's had that social opportunity, but that's like it. We don't go anywhere else. I mean, he he sees his Nona and Pops and his Gigi and Pap. And, but, like, that's a – it's like we have literally lived in a bubble. But, like Megan said, children are so resilient. Like, y'all, so resilient. I mean, they're not going to – they're not going to remember when they're one-year-old and be like, hey, I never got to yeah. see anybody. Like, it's hurting us as parents more so that, like, I can't throw a two-year-old birthday party because, dang, again, that's Ugh, too many people. I know. Too we much can't of a be, risk you and, can't be the in-person teacher responsible for spreading the freaking virus <laughs> right now. It's just – it's tough. Um Again, like Rachel's saying, they're fairly unaware. How I mean, the imp the importance of this one is that children learn from each other, yes. like a thousand times better than they do from us. And we, again, we same boat. We have a pandemic baby. Like she has hung out with like a handful of people a handful of times. And Rachel, you guys are one of them. You're 20 minutes up the street. We have our playdates with Finley. It is the best part of our week every time it can happen. And I love watching them. And actually what I love, and when Megan, when you were here before, so Megan has been gone for six months, which in toddler time is a lifetime. But she's back. <laughs> so we get to go back to having all, all trio play dates, technically quattro play dates. Cause we've got 
soon yeah soon five babies running around officially um but what i'm saying is that even though those have been what feel very few and far between um it's something it's still her interacting with other children close to her age we have one i have one friend whose daughter is a little bit older than her so she's more capable and and my daughter will watch her and like sure enough, then go try that thing. Like we have the sous chef tower, we have the sprout sous chef tower, and she could not figure out how to climb into it. She could not figure it out. She would just whine and wait for someone to pick her up and put her in it. And I tried so many times. I've literally like myself was climbing, like, look, you put your head in here and you step. And she was like, no, not having it. And then her little buddy came over and climbed into it effortlessly. Cause again, she's like three and a half now. And, um, Loretta was like, what? That's how you do it. And now climbs into it without a problem every single time. So like, this is why the socializing is important. But I will say, again, without having done too much of it, as much as I felt comfortable doing, um, I feel like that was still something because I will say I sat in my first parent conference with her, which again, I was glad to have her at this school too, because I know she's getting that socialization part that I can't give her every day like she can at school. But one of her teacher's notes was, that she has noticed this trend because her teacher has done this forever and has watched kids change and said it had become, it was becoming a thing that toddlers were actually quite over socialized. And so they Mm, were coming into class and it was like party time. Like I'm here to like be in my friend's faces and like do whatever my friends are doing. And she was like, it's kind of cool to see that your kid is like, happy to do her own thing and doesn't need to be involved with everybody else all the time. Cause like, that's not what she's used to anyway. So there, you know, like just don't be too hard on yourselves if you're not right now getting in a whole bunch of play dates so that your kids can learn from each other and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I mean, just for like a quick overview of what that would normally look like in the academic setting is that there are each classroom is a mixed age group. And so that's why when we talk about our training, we say six to nine, nine to 12, because those are the gaps that are existing together all in one classroom. And they stay for those three years for a larger and more extensive curriculum experience. And one of the reasons that they exist in those mixed age groups is like we're talking about is to experience that social interaction from, to learn from each other, to practice being leaders, to um, really being a community. Because when you think about the community we all live in, we don't all live in a community of people the same age as us. We share experiences. So that's, we're trying to create this kind of smaller community within the classroom. So that's kind of the context of what we're talking about. And obviously this isn't going to be able to happen for everybody in this way right now. Um, and we're just going to have to throw our hands up and say, hopefully it's all okay. <laughs> hopefully yeah. it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. It will. It'll be okay. It will. <laughs> fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I do, I do want to mention really one quick thing before we um, move into our um, finishing up, but um, the over socialization is totally something I see as a teacher. I'm glad Laura mentioned that because it is also a point of like, not right now, of course, because we are still in pandemic, but pre pandemic, um, you do see like children. I have said many times in my classroom, this is not a play date 
find your own lesson, choose your own work. And it is like, then there's a point where they're never home, just them, just with their parents or just with their sibling. Then it's like, okay, Saturday, we're going to marbles. Okay. Saturday afternoon, we have a play date. Okay. Sunday afternoon. It's like this on and on and on. Right. Every bit of time is structured and planned out. There is no just like free unstructured time anymore, even in a toddler's life. I actually love that you guys are saying this because it's making me feel so much better. Because like I said, there's been a lot of guilt knowing that we ca- I can't provide that social interaction for my kids and knowing that them just sitting at home in their room focused on whatever they're focusing on can be a positive thing. Um, and I know in that toddler children's house, which is, um, ages three to six, if you're not in this world, um, that, that independent work is really important. I would say if you have a child in that six to 12 range that Laura and I know that that's a huge, huge social time. And it's actually really important that collaboration and that, um, socialization of understanding how to be a part of a bigger whole. Um, and if you have an older child and they're missing that, it is really important, honestly, but I do love that you're saying that maybe it's okay. (laughs) Maybe we're going to be okay. And that there are positives that come out of it too, that it's all not just negative and that we can focus on those positives of the concentration of the self-entertaining and all of that stuff. So the slowing down, I know and the connection between me and my yeah. kids, like we get to spend so much time together and I'm never going to get that again. One day they're just no. going to run away from me. Leave us all. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, I think it's time to lighten things up just a little bit and finish out the show with our favorite segment, confessions from the wild. What do we have to share this week? Rachel, you want to kick it off? Yeah, I can kick it off. Um, I'm We're still in the toilet learning days, guys. So we're still here. Um, he's been a champ. He's doing so well. But at school now, um, I guess some other friends stand up when they're peeing. You know, boys stand <laughs> up when they're peeing in the toilet. Um, well, um, I, you know, sit down, obviously. I'm a female, so that's what I do. You don't stand I up? I don't stand up. Um <laughs> Garrett probably doesn't want me to share, but he also sits down. So, <laughs> That's the confession of the day. So um, in my household, really nobody stands up, but Finley wants to stand up. We don't stand up in this house. <laughs> his teacher is like, he's really successful standing up, releasing his whole bladder. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. Stand up. Well, you know, you can't poop standing up, but he doesn't understand that concept. Did he try? Oh, poop just fell to the floor. <laughs> Pull up, turd right there, almost hitting my foot. So, so oh I've decided for your birthday, yes. I need to get you like one of those like Hobby Lobby signs <laughs> that says we sit in this house, like for your bathroom because, yeah, that's hilarious. Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's where I'm at. Oh, that's so good. Um, Megan. All right. Well, actually, you know what? No, no, we're no. saving it again. So it's going to be the. I just feel in my heart that it'll be the best one. I know. So I let like- me just <laughs> let me just bang out mine. Mine's so lame, but also like true to my heart. So I got three gifts for Christmas this year that I think are pretty on brand for me. Um, from two different people who basically are just like 
we give you permission to give up. And by that, I mean, (laughs) I got a pair of footy sweatpants. I saw sweatpants with a full footy at the bottom. Um, Accompanying that gift was what I can only describe as a hoodie that also is a sleeping bag, a sleeping bag hoodie. So like (laughs) it's drawstringed up to look like probably the, something on the commercials that come on at like midnight you know this special this is 100 percent one of those things both of these items have to have been like just a fever dream infomercial purchase however like laura that's that's yeah. who, who needs that you know who needs the kind of garment that will allow her to sleep wherever her body stops laura that's who needs that and then the third one given to me by a completely different person is what i can only yes megan yes more than one person knew to get me sleep where that just permanently is on my body and just engulfing my body just so that no skin of mine will see the light of day again i'm laughing so hard because i'm looking at you wearing all right the third one that i'm donning this evening just to make the ladies jealous is the comfy comfy is a uh, similar to a snuggie but i think maybe superior um it's basically a, a heavy heavy comforter that has been given sleeves and a hood and I, and my body is in the middle of it and you i have like never been so warm flying squirrel is what i would <laughs> That's perfect right there. So what we'll have to add to the account is what it looks like when I spread my flying squirrel flaps. My extra flaps under my arms here that allow me to glide with the greatest of ease through the treetops. And it's funny to the person that you become when you wear it because I saw you get up when you were leaving the room and there's like this dance that goes with it. And it's like, I feel like you really embody the person that wears the cozy. That's what I'm trying to tell you, Megan, is my transformation is complete. I am a full-blown, just vagrant mother teacher <laughs> just is so cold and tired all the time so cold. all right now you tell she tell us up. story confession tell us what terrible thing you did or happened to you this week yeah you i feel like the the bar is really high at this point so i feel like there might be some disappointment here but talking about flying um and just to paint a picture we had to, we, like I said, we were gone for seven months. So we had a lot of stuff, ended up having about nine items to check at the gate. So we had to take two cars, car seats, double stroller, all the bags and two children, obviously (laughs) me. And, um, and my mom and dad came with me to help me. All of us are just pack muled up. Like we all have a backpack. We've got a baby. We've got, um, I have a bag of snacks. I have my baby on my front in like a carrier and my toddler, she's got her own little backpack. She's like sport and ready to go. That's precious. Um, so we get everything checked in. It's a million dollars and we go to get into the line at security we get to the front and like I've got a baby my mom's got a baby my dad had left to go take the car back and then get driven back to the airport because that's how much stuff we had so it's just me and my mom and the two kids and my daughter's pretty like we we travel 
often enough and we go out and about often enough and she's um she's pretty easygoing kid and we get to the front I show him my you know the TSA guy show him my ID and she just takes off like she's like (laughs) runs away (laughs) and so there's those like they're not, not not ropes, but like the yeah. things that divide up the, the lines, you know? Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So she's ducking under them <laughs> and we all have backpacks and we all have things that we're holding and, and we're like trying, you know, there's people around like trying to duck under <laughs> the, the barriers to get her and she'll, she stays still. And the second we go to <laughs> catch her, she takes off again. <laughs> So we're like hitting them and knocking them over. And the guy at the TSA has not cracked a smile once. And I'm cracking up because I'm like, is this real life? Like she just left. Like she's just like, nope, I'm not doing this. And is like on some kind of sugar high or something. She's like a pinball and she's like, and so we're like going under, trying to grab her. She goes the other way. So someone else tries to stop her. Anyway, the guy behind him is cracking up. He's like, oh, oh, she goes, oh, you almost got her. <laughs> so we got her. We get through security. We get on our first stretch of the uh, of the plane, like ride to our to Phoenix. And um, she just starts screaming at the top of her lungs, happy shark, happy shark, like screaming, like ear piercing screaming. And I was like, shh, you need to be quiet. Um, So that was the first part of it. And my son's crying. Like it was just a mess. Second half, first kind of half of the flight, I took my son in to go get his diaper changed. And I went to change him and he didn't want to be laid down. It's like a hard surface and whatever. So I was going to change him standing up as we often do in Montessori. Anyway, so I was changing him standing up. I undo his diaper and he just pees all over my pants, my shirt, everything. (laughs) And so I have pee all over me and it was lovely. So I come out or I put him down on the, on the, table and there's pee all over the floor so I'm trying to wipe it up with like a napkin and tiny bathroom I'm like wiping it up there we we get back I'm covered in pee he won't sleep so I ended up having to bounce him in the aisle like a I don't even know what to to compare it to but it was like like when, what are those like ticking things, you know, or something? Metronome? A metronome. metronome. Yeah, that's it. So a metronome. That's it. I was tipping like a metronome, like excessively for two hours <laughs> trying to get this boy to sleep while my daughter is screaming happy shark at the top of her lungs and I'm not okay and I'm never leaving this state ever again, which is good for you guys because... It's perfect. It works out really conveniently it for does. us. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. So that was my like treacherous journey home, but we're home. And I only ended up with like minor embarrassment and pee on my front. So I feel like that's kind of <laughs> pee it on really my could front. Be worse. 
There was only pee on my front, guys. It wasn't on my back. <laughs> At least it wasn't your pee. Yeah. It wasn't your pee and it wasn't on your back. So he hasn't peed on me since he was like a newborn. I was like, today, today's the day you decide to do this. So. so I feel like we should just wrap that up by saying that if you are traveling or have traveled or if you have any experience at all with that, with children, do not let anybody make you feel bad because there is just nothing you can do. It's just a waking nightmare and you're doing your best and we're proud of you. And if you are the person who is judging Megan and all the other pee drenched moms, <laughs> pack mule mothers out there, then I don't even know. I don't even know what to say to you right now. I just not, ex- not just, acceptable for this clean podcast. What I have to say to you. <laughs> yeah, I have things to say. They're just not acceptable for this wholesome family podcast. Yeah, even though and I didn't I didn't drop any any curse bombs. You want to get one so. in real quick just for the buzzer? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, stay wild.